there is a, a phenomenal number of people at booths dancing in tune with or in time with some electronic device that I can't comprehend, you know. Oh but so there's just a lot of dancing at CES right now. There's a lot of, a lot of there's dancing. A lot of, yeah, there's a lot of dancing with robots. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Human Element, Kara's podcast designed to find areas of human insight in modern marketing. We are so excited to have Brian Kaminsky, who is the president of product revenue at iHeartMedia. Thanks so much for joining us, Brian. My pleasure. Glad to be here. So you got in Monday. Monday. You're in a night behind me, so you're probably in better shape. I don't know. I, I, I managed to, to cram in a full extra half a day worth of stuff yesterday, <laughs> just trying to get back and forth. I actually went to the CES floor in an effort to participate in a floor tour that I was never able to actually find or get to. So, <laughs> yeah. So you did your own. I did a little bit of hiking. I got some privately, exercise in. Yeah. Privately curated uh, floor tour. Well, I wouldn't call it a floor tour so much as me just helplessly wandering around trying to figure out whether or not the human element that I saw in nine other places was the one <laughs> that I was going to be talking about because that seems to be a theme right now at CES. Uh, yeah, we we definitely I think tried to pick something that uh, other people were talking about. Um, so, did you see anything that's that kind Kind of jumped out of you. I mean, I, I wasn't there to actually witness it myself, but I think the most interesting thing that's happened at CES so far was the Promobot. Uh, did, have, has anyone seen yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so 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 Promobot is apparently. I didn't know we needed it, but Promobot is actually automating the way we do promotions at, at events. They, it is a robot that walks around promoting brands or whatever. And apparently, as it was trying to cross the street at CES, it was hit by an autonomous driving Tesla. <laughs> And knocked off. <laughs> not, so the singularity is happening, but the war is not between the humans and the robots, but the robots themselves. Look, uh, as the as the Clone Wars, uh, you know, proved to us, uh, it is not going to be between human and human. It's going to be between the robot armies of the humans. So we're safe. I yes. think that's what we've learned here at CES. Promo bot. Yeah, promo bot. Take a look. The video's there. Shelly Palmer laughed about it pretty loud. So oh, that's fantastic. It's good. Oh my god. So. Talk to us a little bit about kind of your role uh, and your mission at iHeart. Yeah, so uh, I run a bunch of different things. I run revenue operations, uh, which is inclusive of you know analytics and research, pricing and yield management, literally the trafficking team, the execution yeah. team that puts the ads up on the airwaves, both for broadcast and for digital. But the most compelling thing that uh, I think we're going to talk about today that is probably most interesting to you guys is I run our smart audio intelligence platform, which is taking our digital assets, right? We have this really amazing digital ecosystem, 122 uh, million some odd uh, registered users. We have uh, radio stations. Each one of those radio stations has a website. All of our personalities have their own social footprint. So there's a lot of uh, uh, digital activity going on around there. And what my team was constructed to do and what really was a uh, brainchild of some really smart people that I work with was, hey, how do we take digital and use it not just to be the tip of the spear in a, a new product line that we have, but how do we use it to bolster the broadcast radio business? How do we take it from just this interesting new product and extension of what we're doing and actually use it as the foundational layer of how we build our business? And we can do that because the vast majority of our digital listeners are also broadcast radio listeners. It's not one or the other, it's a complement. It's an extension of that listening experience. So if you're listening on the iHeartRadio application, I've got a device ID, I've got a registration uh, uh, profile on you, 
and I know what your station of origin is. I know what radio station you listen right. to. I know what personalities you like. And so we've turned that set of digital insights through the magic of data science or through the science of data science into something that we use to support the broadcast radio business. And we call that smart audio. So it involves programmatic. What else? So there's two pieces of it, right? Smart audio was a set of insights. Smart audio was our way of saying, hey, look, uh, as buyers, uh, as media professionals become more sophisticated, they want to get beyond what they were doing with syndicated research and just the basic yeah. description of an adult 18 to 49 or, you know, whatever limited set of interest and behavioral insights you can. And again, we're talking about traditional media now, yeah. right? So there's a, there's a fairly limited set of uh, audience profiles that you can use. Yeah. There's a fairly small set of actual participants in the panels that you can extract information from. And in digital, it seems almost limitless, yeah. like this ocean of information in detail. So that was the first step. The first step was, hey, how do we describe broadcast radio using the same vernacular, the same lexicon that you would digital? How do we talk about auto purchase and tenders and not just you know, a general demographic. Yeah. That's a basic example. But, and that's what smart audio was. And it was really a research and insight and analytic tool. And for us, that was great. And it was interesting and it was game changing. But what we wanted to do with it was would not just go in and do a presentation, not put it in a PowerPoint, but to actually make that data, that something that you could transact against. Yep. And the second part of that is, okay, well, now I have to take all of these radio stations which have this amazing audience that's not going anywhere anytime soon, um, but they're kind of antiquated in terms of how they're operated. They're very mm. siloed. Every single radio station is its own entity. And it may operate on the same software, which is like one of the thing, one of those conversations that I had with the radio engineers <laughs> when I showed it. It's like, we're all on the same software. I'm like, great. So there's, is there a, this you know, network effect where right. we understand all of our inventory? Oh, no. Each one of those is, is individually installed Oof. at the station. So we needed uh, a software, yep. essentially, that would aggregate all of those stations, network them, not just manually through telephones and contracts and telexes, yep. but literally like a cloud-based piece of software that, that was at each one of those stations that understood what was playing and what the inventory was. And that is the other piece of that equation. So it's a transaction platform, which is why we made an investment and eventually acquired uh, the company Jelly. Mm. which is a really the only that I'm aware of uh, software that was purpose-built for the enablement of programmatic broadcast radio. Got it. Right? And so that's, so now you have this data set, smart audio. Yep. You have a transaction platform that, that networked in the cloud every single radio station, 858 radio yep. stations spots. Yep. And now it's not a spot. Now it's something you can apply that data set to. So if you want to buy... Uh, an over-indexing of uh, auto-purchase tenders, going back to my original example, uh, you can. Yeah. And there's an algorithm that says where those audiences are likely to show up. And it takes out some of the, you know, sort of, I would call it, you know, legacy perceptions of what an audience was. You relied on Nielsen, yep. you know, the buyers had, you know, 30 years of knowledge of what made up an audience of a particular radio station. They knew the sales manager and had a great relationship yeah. there. And all of those sort of conceits influenced the way broadcast radio was bought. It was very insular yeah. and it was very sort of, I, I would call it um, tribal, you know, lore-driven in terms of what audiences were. And I think the data has revealed some things that people found surprising, like, you know, 
pickup trucks and urban music actually go really well together, <laughs> even though pickup trucks have leaned really hard into country. Right. Turns out that people who listen to urban music are also small business people and general contractors and yep. like big trucks too. And that was like one of those head-scratching moments where you know, the traditional approach and the data approach gave us some insights and gave us room to open up some new possibilities. Yeah. Does that, that make sense? So that's how it's programmatic. No, nah, that's fantastic. That is, a, a, a great description. Thank you. Uh, and I think B really helps kind of get the understanding of, of what, we're, what we're talking about. Yeah. So to some extent, it's a redefinition and a, 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 an improvement in capability around audience selection and identification yes. applied to the scale of the platform that you guys have. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, that was awesome. So, what are kind of the most exciting things that are happening with that right now? Like, who's kind of leveraging it in the best way? We have a lot of customers who are leveraging it really sort of intelligently, which is they're looking at it as an opportunity to bring their first party data to the table, right? Yep. Because in that model where I create this sense of who an auto purchase intender is, like, that's what I get when I go out and I work with a third party data source. But when you're a retailer that has customer file, and knows who those people are, knows yeah. what their purchase preferences are, like that changes the game. Now you can go in and you can create Halloween candy buying super customers. That was a terrible sentence, but you know what I mean. No, I like that. Right? And I was born in Hershey, Pennsylvania, so I'm all about Halloween it's all candy. About, it's, yeah, all yeah, about, yeah. it's all about chocolates. Right. So yeah, that's the most interesting thing. And where I think we're going right now, and I, one, one of your you know, questions for me was, where do you spend most of your time? Which was a great question because yep. I was like, where do I spend most of my time? <laughs> well, it's, it's self-analysis. We want to get right. your year uh, kicked I, off I, in the right I direction. I laid down on the couch and I <laughs> jotted down some notes to myself. I spend most of my time at this point trying to take that application of data to another level. We're still a broadcast medium. Yep. We don't have a one-to-one -one yep. connection. I mean, we have it with the streaming product, but again, like, I'm really focused on broadcast. It's mm. about taking digital, not just selling it as it's you know sort of straightforward streaming product, but how do we again apply that to the much larger opportunity yep. of broadcast? And I'm sure uh, my colleagues who you've spoken to who have pointed this out, like all of digital listening, all of it, iHeart, Spotify, Pandora, stack it all up. Still, only about seven percent of the total listening. Yeah that happens with broadcast radio. So I would be a fool to spend all my time on 7%. Yep. That the rest of that number is where I'm chasing it. So I want to develop data strategies that are much more thoughtful uh, than the basic smart audio one I just described. It's yep. really a 1.0 version. So we are taking that to the next level now. We have the smart audio intelligence platform where we're really trying to find ways to use our app and our digital environment to give us signals back that tell us not only who do I think is gonna be in an audience, but when I played those ads, who was there and who heard it? And then hopefully downstream, like what impact did that have? So um, since we're kind of dancing around the data issue for a second, and since it's at the top of everybody's list, sure. what's your perspective on where we are as an industry? You know, What level alarm fire do we have around trust, transparency, and data at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to answer that question uh, a couple different ways. There needs to be a change in our thought process around how we buy media and how we put these media programs together. I think consumers are actually relatively comfortable sharing their data. And when we, when we, the way we've set up our site is, it's pretty clear there's a value exchange here. Yep. You want to use the service, we're going to do some stuff with your data, it's going to be above board, we're not selling it, yep. uh, and you have the right to opt out. Like that, that, that we make clear as, as clear as possible without forcing people to, to get lawyers, right? Like it's the same approach 
that the vast majority of the high value premium websites take. And I think we as partners, you as an agency bringing in the customer, we can work together in a way that we protect the interests of our customer and offer them some value in return, which is either a better content experience, a more relevant ad, perhaps some value in the actual transaction process. I think all of those things are doable. And I think people want us to do that. And I think they're comfortable with it. And someone said to me today, and I, I can't give a statistic here and maybe I shouldn't, but you know, hey, for all of the sort of fear and loathing that went into the creation of GDPR, uh, it hasn't changed an <laughs> iota the amount of uh, engagement that they have in Europe. That's right. So people want to use these services. They understand there's a value exchange, I think, by and large, whether they you know, could explicitly state that. I think they do intuitively understand it. Where I think we have a problem is with publishers who are exploiting that openness. And we talk pretty openly about sort of the liberties that the duopoly has taken with data, the crisis that they've created, not just in the advertising business, no. but culturally, yeah, yeah. right? Like there's a, there's a huge problem there. And we've actually done a study where we've, you know, said, hey, what are the most trustworthy types of media? And, and lo and behold, mostly because we've been able to maintain our audience and we have this human connection with people we're very local in terms of the content that we create so we feel familiar. And really, that's what drives broadcast radio, these relationships. But we are, broadcast radio is the most trustworthy medium, far uh, surpassing something like cable news. I think we're 81% more uh, trustworthy than cable news and social media which we're 200% right. more trustworthy than uh, the social media, which is, which is just no surprise. Now, here's, the, here's the, the thing that bothers me most of all, which is we all know that there was this exploit that happened, uh, this you know, breaking of trust, uh, this indifference to the value of that consumer relationship that happened yeah. both with the data and even with the types of content that was being produced. Because I'm, I'm talking about both sides of this now. I haven't said either name, but when I say this, no, you're right. and, and I like your word disinterest. Yeah. It, was, it was like willing We're doing fine. Yeah, Don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's been this overcommitment to digital because we told everybody, and I was there, and I did it, and I was part of it. I've been in digital since 1998, and it was very early days as a seller. And we just, like, we're just going to target. It doesn't matter. It's great. We've got data. Let's use it. Let's take advantage of it. Well, I don't think we understood what we were doing. And the, I think the agency community and the buying community at large overcommitted to digital at the expense of much more reliable and very effective media. Yes. And now that course correction needs to happen. And you look at somebody like Mark Pritchard and what P&G has done, they've had their best year ever doing that course correction. And I think we as an industry spend a lot of time talking about that. I don't think enough people are actually following through on it. I agree. And holding the, the duopoly accountable for delivering what they promise to deliver. And that's where I think the data question really is two sides of it. I think users are comfortable. I think we can collect their data, use it in a responsible and respectful way. And it's good for the industry and it's good for the economy and it's good for the user unless we exploit it. And you and I, if we work together, we won't. I, I can't say that about the, the, the two dominant you know, players in the, in the industry right now. So I forget who I was talking about. Uh, we had a discussion and I basically was like, you know, if you watch those hearings, it's it's a catastrophe, and I, this no, is no a, one can see, hear me shaking my head. Yeah, it, <laughs> <laughs> it is, and this is a this is a nonpartisan statement. No, right? it, it, it just absolutely ridiculous, uninformed, totally, totally uninformed. 
and um, focused on the wrong things. Hundred percent, the wrong thing. That, and that's what they were informed on. Like, yeah, what, what's the angle on this that makes it about politics as opposed to about the value proposition? That's right. And that's where, like, it, we'll never get over that there. So we've yeah. got to we. we Heaven yeah. help us if that group of folks are going to make decisions. Yeah, and again, I'll go back to the buying community and broadcast radio, iHeart in particular. I think there is a really great place for us to come together to solve a lot of those problems. Yeah. There is a way for us to add back the element of reach for us to add, you know, which sort of got left by the side of the road a bit. Yep. There's a benefit to being ubiquitous, right? Coke yeah. used to have a strategy of ubiquity. Coke was everywhere and they lost a little bit of that magic by yeah. rolling back and going into targeting. I think we can help. I know we can help. Yeah. 91% of millennials, whether they know it or not, listened to the radio last week. That's a fact. That's a Nielsen fact. That's yeah. not me. That's right. not that's not a that's not math and magic. That's that's Nielsen's number. So people don't even realize they're still listening to radio because yeah. people still get in their cars and they're still using the AM, FM. And so you've got now the ability to add data to how you figure out how to optimize your campaign and to measure its effectiveness. And you have this mass reach medium and you have this element of trust, this connectivity that we have, this threading that we are uh, into people's lives that I think is invaluable. And I think if the industry would do itself a favor, still apply data, but think a little bit more abstractly about something that is viewed as maybe different and other and is left behind as broadcast radio because we really have put ourselves in a position to help yeah. and to still be tremendously effective. And frankly, audio in and of itself has never been more relevant, yep. right? Like, wow. like listening, uh, yes. radio listening has been steady since the 70s. It's 93%, right? But streaming has grown in, in the 40% range, I think. The number one gift for the holiday season Alexa and smart speakers, yep. right? That's a listening experience. Even though people think of it as voice, yep. it's a speaker. You're listening to it. You're talking to it and it's talking back to you. That's yes. a relationship. And podcasts are just this cultural phenomenon. So you have the cultural relevance of audio just taking off. I think that we overcome some of the privacy concerns by applying data to this more trusted, more uh, sensible more effective medium. And that's what that's what I'm excited about. Interesting. Uh, you said something a couple minutes ago that, that really stuck with me, and I think it's a, a, an amazing point. And, and it's this idea of ubiquity. I'd make an argument that as it turns out, you know what the hardest thing is? And increasingly harder each day, and that is ubiquity. Mm -hmm. For brands, for celebrities, for you know public figures, to have that sense of ubiquity, and and I don't know that we're even aiming for it uh, no, in our market. It's been left behind yeah, in, in our marketing in, in, in favor of targeting. Yeah, right. In absolutely. favor of that's my audience. That's right. I don't want anybody else. Right. Which is crazy because it's only sixty percent of sales. Best case scenario. Yeah. So it's forty percent is everybody else, right? Yeah. Maybe yeah. I have that backwards even. <laughs> right. I just, but that is, you know, I see briefs, and they're briefs for significant brands, and they're tiny. You know, they're tiny in their aspirations. Yeah. That's not what our business was designed to build, yeah. you know? Uh, and I think that's a really interesting, interesting point. So as you look ahead to kind of this year and you sort of say, all right, what are the three or four things that I want to pay attention to or prioritize or focus? We've talked about a couple of them. Anything else that you're sort of telling your team, I want to try to get there this year? Yeah, I mean, I mean, speed is of the essence, right? Mm. Like we're at we're at a moment. I don't want to call it a, a tipping point or whatever. That's kind of, but but we have an opportunity. I yeah, think so there's, this is a totally cliche free zone, Brian. Obviously. That, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, I just I think that I think that all of the things we just talked about present us with a unique opportunity, and we need to be pretty bold, and we need to be pretty brave, and we need to try some things that may not be a hundred percent baked. And that's really what I've been telling my team, which is not that I don't want it to work, but I don't need it to be like polished and boxed and wrapped. Like yeah. let's try some stuff. Let's find partners who are uh, looking to be aggressive. Who, who believe in audio because we can help them. We can help them with their voice. We can help them with uh, creating a mass market message that is localized. And I want to help them prove that it means something. And I want to help them prove that it's effective because the things that they think are tried and true aren't. Right. And I think we have to find a way to tell that message diplomatically. Or, or maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. I, I, I like to think I'm diplomatic, and then people tell me you're really not. Um, you're, the, you're the silent assassin. I, I like that. That's that's one thing. I think it's doing it uh, doing it fast, doing it a little yeah. bit dirtier than you would expect. And I, and I think the other thing is for for right now, like we really need to go back and retell the message that it's not just about music, but it's about that human connection. It's about that yeah. trust factor. It's really lean hard into what we know about our DJs and personalities, the programmers that put the content together. It's not so much about music. When we talk to clients, clients are always like, we need a music strategy. I'm like, you need a strategy that's tied into conversation and culture. Yep. We can help you with that. Music is, music is a, a, dim of a dimension yep. Yep. of that, but news and weather and talk, talk. pop culture, Absolutely. politics. Right? That's, that's also part of that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just the political zone. I mean, obviously, this is, you know, the effect of, for better or for worse, of the president is that he has made political discourse in this country. Uh, he has not elevated the quality of it, but he has elevated the intensity of it. Turned up the volume. I see it in my, my kids. An 18-year-old and a 15-year-old, they are plugged in on political topics in a significant way that I was not at 15 years old. And my, my son certainly is as well. He's, yeah. in, he's a sophomore in college. And yeah. He's walking a, a razor's edge every day. Yeah. He like is what tense. is going to... Yeah. I'm like, relax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are three branches of government. <laughs> May not seem that way. We're going to be okay. <laughs> By God, we There's need controls. <laughs> there's checks and balances. There's still the press. And then he loses his mind. So, all right. One last question. Then we'll do the lightning round. Sure. You've been in and around the marketing media business for your career. Yep. Why do you love it? Oh, it's, it's really funny. I mean, I'll actually lean back into something I said earlier, which is when I first got into my, my first job out of college was I was a sales assistant at Blair Television and I had like 12 markets. Like one of them was like Twin Falls, Idaho, and it was a robot station. Like it literally, <laughs> there was nobody there. It was just rebroadcasting a right. signal from somewhere else. I don't know. Right. I don't know actually where. <laughs> um, and I was like, "This is really cool." I was like, "I'm involved in television," and, yeah. you know. And 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 then I I looked at it and I was like, I was like, I don't know if this makes any sense. And I went back to school and I got my MBA and I I went in to study finance and investment because I thought it was about making money and sure. that was how I was going to make more money than being a rep in Twin Falls, Idaho. Yeah. And as I got closer and closer to getting a job in finance, the digital aspect of our media started to really take off. It was such a siren call. Like, yeah. hey, how do we transform media? Yeah. How do we transform the way we communicate? How do we reinvent and reimagine what relationships are with the newspaper, with, with television, with broadcast radio? And that's what I love about it. And I've worked at two or three places that I've been able to do that. Uh, I worked at Yahoo very early on and we sort of like, you know, with AOL and yep. Microsoft, I don't want to claim one versus the other. We all sort of invented the way we do this, yep. right? Which is maybe not the best thing, but we at least we were doing something. Yep. And then I worked for Ariana Huffington and I was at the Huffington Post. Mm. And we, we kind of reinvented the way people consumed print 
news media. Yep. And now to be here at iHeart and have the opportunity to reinvent the way people engage with broadcast radio and how we understand those audiences and how we program for them with things like podcasts yep. and events and how we close that loop, making their experience listening to us in the car something that extends to digital and something that it then extends to the home with something like Alexa, which is the, Bob will say, the new clock radio, right? That to me is, is what I love about it. It's that we're constantly on the crest of that wave as we reinvent the way people consume content and experience each other. So take that Goldman and Lazard. Yeah, right? <laughs> who needs, who who needs who two needs houses? <laughs> and a, and a, who needs a four and a half million I don't, dollar bonus? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. need economic security, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on. Working's good. It's good for the soul. All right, Brian, you've made it to the lightning round. Here All we right. go. All right, short answers to quick questions in, sure, sure. in theory, although they're frequently just as long as the regular I, I will go on, I yeah, promise. Yeah, okay, good. Um, favorite digital experience, not your own? Uh, my, I, I mean, this is an easy answer, and it's a little bit of a cheat. My, my son, who I referenced before, actually uh, is a DJ at a college radio station, and he does at 2 a.m. in St. Louis, 2 a.m. New York time, 1 a.m. St. Louis time, a punk rock radio show that I pick up over some crappy little app called MixLR or something like that. Oh my God. And uh, it's, 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 it's really not great, but I love it so much because I stay up at night sure. to hear the live show and I play it on my iPhone in my bedroom over this, you know, I give me shells, I love this. And I'm like, you know, I could set you up on iHeart and I could actually get you probably rated. I get a people meter in there somewhere. <laughs> and he's just not at all interested. No, nah, he's like, yeah, I, he's I'm, like, I'm he's good. Like, I'm good. So uh, best piece of content you've recently consumed of any kind, book, uh, uh, podcast? Uh, for some reason, my son turned me on to The Adventure Zone, which is basically four men uh, sitting around playing Dungeons and Dragons. And it's hilarious. They're improv comics. They're family. They're three brothers and their father, one of whom was actually, I didn't know it until I was listening, an iHeartRadio DJ from Days of Yore named yeah. Clint McElroy. His kids are uh, this phenomenal set of podcasting talents. Yeah. So I was like, I'm never listening to a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons. That sounds ridiculous. Yeah. And yet I am 70 some odd episodes in. So <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's basically... Uh, they're playing the game. They play Dungeons and Dragons, but they are so funny. funny. And they're great storytellers. Yeah. Like, so, again, not to make everything about radio. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> but, like, no, they, their dad was a DJ, and he basically taught them how That's to amazing. create this environment yeah. where their voices and their interactions are entertaining yep. and engaging, and that's what they do for a living now. That's amazing. But, they, but I would say they're not radio personalities. They're improv comics, but they have that background of conversational engagement as yeah. opposed to just like stand up. Very cool. All right, I'm into that. What's it called? Adventure? The, the Adventure Zone. The yeah. Adventure Zone. All right. Um, no, that, by the way, neither of those are iHeart uh, podcasts, but we carry them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best career advice you've either given or received? Oh, uh, I, I thought we'd get by with that one. Uh, I mean, <laughs> do, do you want since me to we're hear? here, no, the best thing I ever heard ever, uh, and, and I've always listened to it, so it was never a lesson learned, but always one I took right away, which was nothing good for your career or your personal life ever happened at a offsite event like a CES after 10 p.m. So if well, you can go true. home early, do so. Yes. There is nothing to be gained after 10 o'clock. That is very true. Yeah. Rarely take that advice, but that is very true. Um, most used or favorite social platform? Uh, we use Facebook, even though I beat up on it a bit, but we use it uh, in my, when I say we, I mean my wife and yeah. I and our friends. We use it very much tongue in cheek. There's no political discourse or really discourse uh, of any kind happening there. It's like 
pictures of puppies and food sure. and well-cropped photos and, you know, well-cropped the, photos. the mountain in Vegas that doesn't actually have the Rio Hotel in it because I took it out. <laughs> Right, and it's just like, yeah. wow, you're in this most serene of places. I'm that's like, right. I'm in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what we use Facebook for. It's really to keep in touch uh, and have fun, but never for the sort of more, I would call them uh, seedy aspects of what people do with Facebook, which is like pontificate and yes. push. Share their brilliance. Yeah. Um, last one, thing people should know about you, but they don't. I don't know. I'll help you move. Please don't ask, but I, I have a hard time saying no. So you're-, you're <laughs> I'm that guy. I'm, I'm, I, I'm like, well- I guess Jeff likes me. We're friends. <laughs> My back is strong. I'll be over at 12, Jeff. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'll help you move. Deeply reliable. Absolutely. Deeply I like reliable. to think so. Frank might disagree. Uh, no, Frank's going to agree. Look, you have been a, a much more than reliable guest. You've been fantastic. Thank you so much Thank for you. This coming. was a lot of fun. I appreciate uh, you uh, caring about what we do and, and, and engaging us in this conversation. It's, it's much appreciated. Uh, Brian, it's been great. We will definitely have you back. Anytime. Awesome. My pleasure. Fantastic. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. You have survived another episode of The Human Element. Please remember to find us anywhere you find your pods. And if you're feeling so motivated, give us a review or ah, subscribe. Uh, and we will see you really soon after I get over being completely out of my mind here in Las Vegas. Thanks a do. lot, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.